Welcome to this week's Monday meeting. Today's April 10th, 2023. Monday meetings are a chance for motion designers from around the globe to connect, ask questions, share inspiration, and engage with industry-leading artists on a level playing field. My name is Mark Snozzi, and I'll be your host today. We will be having an open discussion with TJ Kearney. Um, if you have a question, please use the raise your hand function in the participants tab on Zoom. Uh, by doing that, we'll be able to see that you wanna be involved and ask a question. Uh, if you don't have the ability to do that, but you do have the chat open, you can just type question in the chat and we will try to field through those to, um, to get your question in. Uh, this is essentially raising your hand. Any comments or questions that seem to go off topic or spammy or whatnot will be muted. And as usual, this call will be recorded. Uh, if you have any questions or concerns about something that was said uh, on the call, let us know and I'll chop it out of the recording, um, the little podcast recording. Outside of that, uh, just a couple opening topics before we dive in. Uh, NAB uh is next week out in vegas uh i will be out there as well so we will probably not have a monday meeting next week uh just as a little housekeeping there so camp mograph goes on sale next week on 420 at noon eastern 9 a.m pacific uh get those mouse button trigger fingers ready because the tickets go quick but we've got a great lineup we've got some more announcements coming out this week for uh some more workshops and firesides that we have so really psyched on how everything's shaping up uh if you don't know about camp mograph uh go to co uh, campmograph.com there you go all right and there's my blurb um cool so thank you all for joining we've got a great group today um, and I want to welcome TJ Kearney to the Monday meeting. Uh, thanks TJ for being here with us. Uh, I'll just do a quick little intro. TJ, you tell me if I am totally blowing that or what, but I tried to put something together just to give you an intro for anyone who may not know you. So, okay, here we go. TJ Kearney is a seasoned motion design industry professional. With years of experience and a strong background in animation and visual effects, TJ has worked with numerous renowned studios and clients, ranging from advertising agencies to major entertainment companies. And as a, a passionate member and a big member and leader of our industry, um, he's guided and inspired many creative professionals throughout his career. TJ is well known for his expertise in project management, creative problem solving, and uh, just a really good understanding of the industry. Uh, currently, you're head of production and marketing at Masterclass. And in previous roles, he was global director of content at Work & Co., uh, executive producer at Instrument, and co-founder slash executive producer of Oddfellows. So quite the pedigree there, TJ. <laughs> but you, we're so happy to have you here. Um, one big reason why we reached out to TJ is he had a great Twitter thread uh, last week, just kind of about the whole state of the labor industry. A lot of people somewhat freaking out about budgets and jobs and projects. And, uh, you know, we're just in a little bit different stage of our industry, I think, right now after, dare I say, a gold rush in a way through the COVID times. So I thought you had a, just a really great perspective on it and a great take. And I wanted to invite you on to, you know, talk a bit more about that, but then really try to get everyone to engage in a discussion about it, because we have people from all around the world on these calls. And uh, I'm really curious to see how this is shaken out for everybody. So uh, with that being said, TJ, the floor is yours. If you want to kind of talk about uh the, the thread and some of the ideas and, and, and whatnot that you've been thinking about. Yeah, thanks. Um, that was quite the intro. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so everybody, like you said, uh, I have kind of a heavy background in biz dev for big agencies, um, motion studios. Motion is definitely my world. I started out as an animator before I realized I was better at hiring people better than me than doing the animation myself. And uh, for the last 21 years, I've been in the field and I think uh, I sit at a unique position in that I'm in-house client side, 
uh, running content for agencies. So both building my own teams and hiring outside motion studios and being a former studio owner kind of gives me a little bit of a peek behind the curtain that most people might not get. And I was getting a lot of questions about what's happening right now, uh, you know, with cancellations, with layoffs, uh, with just not getting cold calls anymore and, and people's calendars not filling up. So the, the goal of the thread was simply to peek behind the curtain and, and give some context to what might be causing that. And, um, you know, as a, as a former business owner, I can say it's a trap that I've fallen into in the past and that I, I've seen a lot of top leadership fall into at big companies, um, which is just to Mark's point, you know, COVID was unfortunately a, a gold rush, to be honest, for, for tech specifically. With everybody being stuck inside, it meant people needed content, they needed tools, and they were stuck staring at a screen much more than they were in the past. <laughs> and with that, just came a crazy hiring spree. Um, all that cash flow meant that suddenly they had, you know, need for as many people as they could, and that need meant that the competition was super high, and that kind of their plans went out the window. Um, and along with their plans going out the window, that competition meant that they were making unrealistic offers and they were making, they were competing for the same talent, right? So mm -hmm. suddenly salaries skyrocketed, perks skyrocketed, but there was no real long-term plan for what those roles would, would be, you know, in the, in the years to come post COVID. And now we're feeling the ramifications of them chasing the dollar rather than like sticking to their original missions and their, and their strategies. Mm -hmm. And now everybody's trying to level set. And unfortunately we're, we're feeling that, you know, Companies are unloading as fast as they can, and there's equally not a plan now. It's it's pretty shocking to see once you get to look. You know, it's a spreadsheet when these layoffs happen. There's little to no thought put into how that impacts the team that they're on, or the legacy knowledge that's lost, or who's going to pick up the, the pieces when they fall. And so what we're feeling right now is a lot of people being shifted into roles that they don't fully understand roles that they didn't historically have legacy knowledge of and roles where now they're bringing in new partners, right? And so mm -hmm. the industry on the motion side, you know, we're, we're pretty far down the ladder, to be honest, right? Like decisions are made months in advance. Then it comes to internal creative. Then it comes down to the vendors who actually create the work. So now we're stuck in this limbo where people don't know who to go to they don't know what vendors to bring on or they're bringing on new vendors and cutting old vendors. They don't know who has the power to approve these budgets and they don't even really have a clear picture of what their spend is gonna be in the rest of the year. And so that's where we're really feeling right now is everyone's trying to figure out how things are gonna work in the quarters that come. And I do think start to see that working itself out, but my point of my thread was, it's going to take, it's going to be the, the studios and the freelancers that can hold out a bit longer because it's not going to be something that turns, turns over next month. You know, it's, it's going to be later this year before things really shake out and we start to see things level out a bit. And I think to be fully transparent, what we're going to see as, as a result is demand will be higher because they've lost all this internal capability but the budgets are going to be lower because they're going to be much tighter on their spend than they were in over COVID. There was mm -hmm. this free for all spend and now they're being forced to rein it in, but the deliverables aren't changing. They still have to deliver a higher qu quantity of content, but they have less money to spend to do it. Right. And yeah. as much as demand should drive up price, the reality is there's too many people out there looking for work. They're going to be willing to cut their rate and that's going to, you know, we're going to kind of hurt ourselves there, but that's, that's the reality of what we're going to see and what we've seen historically. Um, there's a whole lot of other factors. I'm like overgeneralizing quite a bit here, but hopefully that's enough to get the, the conversation started. And then um, I can dive in a little bit more specifically. Yeah, no, that's some great points there. And, and again, just a reminder to everyone, feel free to raise your hand if you want to participate uh, and we'll call you in, in and uh, have you join. Um, yeah, one one thing that I've kind of seen and just trying to pay attention to um, was that within our industry and just I mean, within tech. And really all businesses after covid, there was so much money 
flushed into the system through, you know, obviously stimulus packages and stuff like that, but then PPP loans and all these other like kind of small business things that essentially if you were spending that on labor, you would then get that kind of fully reimbursed or whatnot. So I think on top of all of the projects and all the content, everything that we were getting across our desks uh, during the COVID time, put a bunch of money behind that too. Now we're kind of pulling back to, dare I say, how it used to be, right? And and it it kind of feels like a rude awakening for everybody. But the last few years have been just so flush with money and projects that um, I think, you know, it kind of skewed our vision maybe a little bit um, because you're right. The content's still out there. The the demand's still out there, but now just with uh, it seems like a lot of uncertainty, um, a lot of, you know, kind of fear-based actions happening. Um, people are kind of pulling back and trying to really, make sure the spend on this project or that project is exactly what they need for that time or whatnot. It's not just like throwing content out just to make content, which in a way I think is probably better. You know, if they're really start, if companies are really starting to strategically think of what they need rather than we just need everything, it's probably going to be maybe better projects for us. We'll have to see. Uh, Jen, I see your hands up and then Laura, uh, after Jen. Yeah, I have a question. Um, I know that a lot of people have been saying like, Hey, there's been like a lot less demand, meaning they haven't been seeing a lot of jobs being posted online. And I'm wondering if that is possibly because everyone, all of these companies suddenly had all these, this access to so many different vendors that they're just going back to their list during COVID uh, when the demand comes back in, or is it because there actually is less demand? Um, uh, it's probably a mixed bag, but I would say for the most part, there's a lot of hiring freezes in place. There's a lot of, um, I think people are trying to figure out what they can pull off internally right now with the team that's left. And then they're forced to reach out last minute once they realize they don't have the right tools in hand. Um, so that's what I mean when I say, I think things are gonna level out as people figure things out. But a lot of companies are stuck with two parameters that are really hard to work around, which is a hiring freeze and then also caps on their vendor spend. And so the caps, that I've seen to be frank are, are just unrealistic. Um, you know, it's, it's asks that are either too short or far too below the budget to, to Mark's point that we've all become accustomed to. Um, but I think just like everything else, I think it's been an overcorrection. I think that we're seeing an over tightening of the belt and this happened, this has happened so many, this is like a cycle that happens in this industry. Um, Many of you are probably too young to, to have gone through it yet, but you'll you'll go through it again, I promise. Um, so, you know, I think that this is what usually what happens. There's an overcorrection. There's a rough quarter or two where just people start to figure things out and then it kind of levels off. But we're probably like a couple years out from getting back to like a really comfortable space in, as far as budgets are concerned. Do you think that's a really good time for maybe some freelancers that are getting full-time offers to cut down their price that maybe they should jump on that for the stability at this point? Cause I, it's kind of uneven. I think that's uh, unique to each individual. What I would say is COVID is also an example in this whole scenario is also an example of why you shouldn't sacrifice yourself for your employer. At the end of the day, these are businesses. They're going to make business decisions, not human decisions. And so don't, you know, that's why I tell everyone, don't work an extra hour for free. Don't over deliver Like do the best of your abilities for the hours that you're paid for, because that's what it is. It's a job. And I think for some reason in our industry specifically, there's, um, you know, I think it's ingrained in us as students and all the way up. And, and then the competition that we see through social media and everything, but everyone's trying to just be the best so bad that they're killing themselves and burning themselves out early. But at the end of the day, this is a job. Like the only person you should burn yourself out for is yourself. The only person you should hustle for is yourself. So if you need the money, I'm not going to say no, like take the job that's going to pay you. But what I would say, this is another tweet I had the other day, but think of that job as continued uh, ed education that you're getting paid for. 
you know, like get in there and learn something from it, take something from it, use it as less about what you're giving them, more about what you're getting out of it, especially if you're taking a pay fit to accept it and make sure that you have an exit strategy as you go into it. Um, don't let yourself get stuck into this role where uh, you've let you come in under, you know, under a salary that you're happy with. Um, and then you're just kind of writing it out forever. I think it's a trap a lot of people fall into. Yeah. And, you know, to your point earlier about like the spreadsheets and numbers, I mean, when it is a business decision, they're looking at that spreadsheet in that salary number and they're like, <laughs> they yes. can't really think of the personal person there because it, that would make it so emotionally hard. I would think they're just looking at that number on the spreadsheet and they have to cut it or whatever it will be. And one thing, sorry, and those other questions, but one thing I want to like tap on that too is if you go through the metrics of like who's been laid off, uh, you're going to find two things. Both are really disappointing. But one is that the average experience of those laid off was 11.9 years. So what that means is the layoffs were targeting people that had high salaries with a lot of experience. Um, I had a ton of, I can't name any clients, but I had a ton of clients who, industry leaders at major companies who were cut and they weren't cut because they were bad at their job. They were cut because they were expensive. Um, and there, my point being, there was no loyalty. These people have been at these companies for 10 plus years and that loyalty was not reciprocated to the employee. At the end of the day, this is a business and people make business decisions. And the other thing that uh, is really disappointing is in addition to the hiring spree for COVID, uh, BLM protests really resulted in its own hiring spree where companies were bringing on diverse talent. And unfortunately, a lot of that was performative. So if you look at the, the metrics for who's being laid off, not only is it the experienced people, but it's the, like the first groups that are getting cut, DEI groups, HR groups, um, you know, a lot of these, like basically the, the pressure, internal pressure that was happening during the peak of BLM has subsided enough to where companies are just letting all those all those hires kind of go without any rumble right now because everything else is so up in the air. So uh, again, take care of yourself. Make sure you're getting a salary that, that pays your bills and all that. But no, don't don't make any sacrifices on, on the benefit of the employer. Yeah, and I'll say one other thing, and we'll go to Laura here. Um, I had a few friends. Um, not even really in this industry, but just in other creative service industries that got very blindsided by the prospects of all these stock options. And they took a lower salary because they had these stock options in this new tech company. And it's like, well, that doesn't vest for like two years. 90% of startups don't make it like, so I, I always exercise as much caution as I can to my friends and whatnot of like, take care of yourself. Don't, don't live on these promises that are years in the future because you just tomorrow, not to sound morbid, but tomorrow's not guaranteed in so many ways. Right. So like, um, anyway, I always throw that out as a word of caution because it's really easy to get blindsided or, or put blinders on and like, wow, well, if this company sells for this, you know, valuation, I'm going to get that. It's like, but the amount of times that's actually worked out, I don't know, you know, yeah. I mean, not only that, but what I've watched time and time again is a lot of those companies cut the top earners of those shares before their shares best. So like, it's right. a, it's a way to get you in the door. It's a way to like negotiate with you, but especially if they're going up for sale, if those companies are going up for sale, they're going to cut as many of those shares as they can before they, before they actually sell. Totally. Totally. Laura, why don't you hop in? Good to see you. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for being here, TJ. At least I found your Twitter thread like super informative. And I think your perspective is always like much needed. Um, my question is, we're seeing a lot of these like business deci uh, decisions, like but merging like giant and and like a bunch of like other agencies like merging together. So it seems like companies are either like becoming a lot bigger or like a lot smaller. And it seems kind of like the mid-sized studios are effectively dead. I was wondering from like, a studio owner perspective. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is like gone. No. Um, <laughs> like, why are these merges happening? It doesn't make sense mm. to me. Like, if there's not enough jobs coming in, like, why would these companies be getting bigger? You know, if there's aren't, if aren't, if yeah. there aren't the jobs there. So, just want to hear your perspective on that. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll preface by saying I have friends of all those companies. I do not work at any of those companies. So I, I can't, uh, they each have their own unique reason for why they think it's worth it. Um, I'll give you my personal perspective. Um, you have to keep in mind these discussions happened mid-COVID, right? Like a lot of this rolled out recently, but has been in the works for quite some time. So for the same reasons that we saw the hiring spree, you have to keep in mind like revenue was crazy high for companies, uh, for all these companies when these mergers happen. So that means that if you're going after private equity, all of a sudden your numbers, your books are kind of at the best time to bring in an outside investor, right? Um, now, that, that's the one part, part of it, the financial side. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because they've set up metrics and, and sales goals based on something that no longer exists. And so like they brought in these investors at a time when their numbers were really great. They can look at historically for a couple of years and you can see like, man, they've just been hitting, hitting, hitting. And all of a sudden, boom, there was a drop off. And now they have a board that they have to report to. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all works, shakes out in the end. But also there's value to those companies for there's some cost savings potentially, uh, you know, like. Again, like with residents, you could probably save, shave quite a bit of overhead by sharing um, resources internally. The biggest style really is a sales tactic, an organic growth. Um, so at my agency, I taught organic growth a lot. And like, you know, if you're just an animation studio, it's really hard to have organic growth. Like you're you're hoping that there's somebody else within a big company needs the your kind of animation, or even if you have animation illustration, you kind of have one offering and you kind of have two options there. You can diversify by creating a new part of your business. I think, um, I think Gunner's done a great job of that, you know, Gunner and Hobbs mm -hmm. and like they have all their separate businesses. And I think they've done a great job of diversification, but most studios struggle there. And so by merging all of a sudden, if you've got one studio that's developing, you've got one studio that's, uh, you know, heavy in animation, maybe one studio is really based on the West Coast, one based on the East Coast, like all of a sudden you have all this additional sales effort that you can bring to the table. So, you know, I could see the upside for those companies. I think um, in each of those mergers, I think somebody comes out on top. Not Maybe it's not an equal uh, benefit to everyone involved, but I think each, each, per, each group is trying to take a little bit from it, if, if that answers your question. Yeah, that made sense. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Hey, I'm going to just filter in a question here from JC in the chat, and then we'll uh, pop over to Augustine here. Uh, so JC asks, uh, do you think the laying off of institutional knowledge and vendors at a company is a benefit or a detriment to us, considering we are, as you said, at the bottom of the planning ladder? Uh, I think in long, for, well, I think it'll be a, a, a benefit for this group. I, assuming this group is freelancers and studio owners, I would say I think it was, it'll be a benefit because um, they have no choice at this point but to reach out for experts in the field to help offset what they've lost internally. Um, so again, I think there I've seen like freelancer caps that are lower than we've seen in a while. I've seen vendor caps. So I think the budgets will be tighter, but I do think that you're going to start to see people reaching out more because they they need the support and they don't have that institutional knowledge. Um, and I think like a lot of vendor lists have gone, gotten lost in the mix. And so mm -hmm. what that might mean is that your historic um, relationships may fizzle. So, yeah, but you, they might also pick up somewhere else. Like what I've seen a lot when these times have happened in the past is people get laid off, but they end up somewhere new and there is a down period, but then you're going to get brought into the new place. So um, I think the benefit is I, my recommendation, everyone is sell right now, like sell yourself, get your name out there, make sure that people know you're around. Don't expect much to come in immediately, but like the more you can do it right now, the more that as those needs arise, um, you're going to be top of mind. Totally. Um... Augustine, you want to pop in and ask a question and then Dreisen yeah. after him? No, I just wanted to ripple on something that, uh, that he just said about like, you know, the, like the volume that needed to be expelled, you know, uh, after this thing happened. Uh, like what I noticed is like, 
depending on the relationship I I had like with the studios or like with the agencies. Uh, like, of course, there are those like I've seen some of agencies I've been working with, which like, like you said, like, was it we're hiring like whatever, however, like come in, come on in. Like they've been like now firing people internally, even internally, like a lot. But on the other side, like other clients I've been working with, which we've been building kind of like this trust relationship through the years, that work hasn't stopped, at least for me. You know, that that, that has remained constant. And um also like another thing I've noticed is like in the big like for me, the beginning of the year was pretty calm. Like the, I would say like January and February was like where the lowest ones. And now it's kind of like taking, like starting again to, to come in. And I wouldn't say like, it's like less money. I would say it's spent differently. Like before, mm-hmm. for example, uh, for like one big tech client, we had like a project that was running for three months. And, um, and now instead of having like this, these big scope projects, it's more like, you know, one that three that lasts one month, you know? So, yeah. So it's like, they have the same money. It's just that they are spending it differently because like, I think like psychologically for them, it's more responsible or, you know, like they can manage it better. Yeah. But the, 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 I mean, the money's there, you know? Um, yeah. And I was, I was curious if like for what you've, yeah, what you've been seeing TJ is the same, you know, like same amount of money. In fact, if, if you look at it, but just like spent or organized differently. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a really valid point. What I'm, um, I, I would say what I'm seeing is a lack of strategic planning long-term. And so I think like what you're feeling makes a lot of sense where uh, we're not, clients are not willing to commit to long engagements, but they still will have the money to un- unlock for short uh, engagements that they feel good about, right? Um but I, I think that ties back to just not having a strategic plan for how to come out of what is going into recession, what is coming out of the the leveling out of, of COVID. Like, um, I think for those reasons, there's a, there's more caution than there has been in quite some time, certainly over the last few years. Um, certainly, I'm seeing all the retainers go away. Um, I'm seeing, you know, like you said, longer term engagements dry up. Um, but you know, it, it it's a little frustrating when you look at uh, the reports because these layoffs are happening, yet these companies are still uh, putting out profit. You know, I, like when you actually mm-hmm. look at their earnings reports, like there's still profit that's coming up. Like it, it might not be as year over year uh, seismic as it has been recently, but it's still profitable. And so there's. Uh, we're seeing a lot of the companies report that they're cutting back on marketing, but you're right. The companies have the money. So if the need is important enough, they're going, they're going to unlock it. Yeah. And um, one thing I was going to say too, uh, to kind of piggyback off of Augustine's comment was, you know, this is as a freelancer, small studio or whatnot, this is the reason why it's important to be a partner with your clients and not just a vendor, right? Build that relationship, build that rapport. If things slow down or if someone gets laid off, they might go to the next spot, but they love, you know, working with you and they've built that partnership with you. So I'm always a big advocate of, you know, uh, we're here to service the clients and to be a partner with them and not just a vendor that can be swapped out with anyone. Yeah. I, uh, to, to piggyback on that real quick, Mark, like, so I consult for, for a lot of students or for a lot of uh, studios and, and individuals. And like, that's, that's kind of my biggest thing. You know, if, if I'm honest, the number one thing I get asked is how to sell. And my advice was to stop selling. Like as soon as you're selling, you're a used car salesman, everybody puts a wall up, nobody <laughs> wants to, to have that conversation. Uh, instead, what you need to do is build human relationships, like real relationships with these individuals and stop thinking about it as I wanna work with Google and start thinking about it as like, I wanna work with that creative director or that producer or whatever it is, because that individual is gonna move around in their career mm-hmm. and that's beneficial for you. It doesn't hurt you that somebody you spent years getting in with Google and they've left. That's not a bad thing. That's a, now Google knows who you are. You're on their roster. You're already in their system. And now you're going with that individual to wherever they go next. Um, so yeah, I just want to echo what Mark's saying there, but put your energy into building those individual relationships. 
Yeah. And that's something that we've always talked about here on Monday meeting. It's just like, it's not sexy. It's not glamorous to talk about, but it's the soft skills of just being like a nice human who is in good communication can really like handle relationships and friendships and just the networking part of it, because that is a big thing that since it's not shiny spheres and cool looking, we just don't talk about as much, you know? Um, but Dryson, why don't you hop in? I, I see you've got your hand up. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I was recently a part of a conversation with that, you know, in the early 2010s, you know, the style was one thing, flat vector 2D. Then the cool Houdini Sims 3D stuff came out. Then COVID happened and everyone was forced to motion graphics because we couldn't film real people, you know. Uh, so the question was posed that is this the beginning of a trend shift where people are are moving away from motion graphics a little bit and they want to see real people drinking a beer on the beach. Um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that a little bit. Is this the beginning of a trend shift? No, that's a good question. I, I would say to your point, uh, it's a pendulum that swings nonstop, right? And and you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's we go from 2D to 3D to live action. Um, I don't know that I think this in, in particular is a trend shift. Uh, not that it couldn't be, and that's probably an, an adding factor. I think, um, to be honest, like we've been shooting live action for two years now, you know, we got pretty comfortable at shooting live action with during COVID, uh, with remote units. And, and now everybody's kind of comfortable to just go back on set. Like I was on two sets last week. Um, so, you know, I think if, if it was that, I think we already, we would already kind of have felt it. I think this is a little bit more reactionary to the economy, to the dip in users. I think um, AI is playing a bigger role in that, if anything. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still think that the demand for motion is going to be there. I think that people still want uh, motion. I, and I think right now it's an interesting flux, influx in that, like, I think it's both. I'm seeing requests for 2D and 3D. We're not at a point where in the past there's been times where it's very cut and dry. Like, it's very obvious we're in 2d vector land now we're in 3d land like right now i'm seeing kind of equal demands across the board for everything so i think it's um i really think everybody's a little bit lost right now to be honest yeah. and so because of that it's actually an equal opportunity for all different disciplines yeah it kind of feels like we're in that um in that moment of like the oh shit moment of like okay we cut our spend we've cut our people now what <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like we have to pick up the puzzle and figure out how to put it back together. Um, so, you know, let's piggyback off the AI thing real quick, because there is a question in the uh, chat about that from Tom saying, do we think part of the creative hiring reluctance beyond just internal layoffs and corporate austerity is also the emerging AI tech? Like clients holding off because they figure in a month from now, there will be some new toy that can do for them what they perceive you once did. Or, you know, how can we, you know, essentially uh, leverage those tools to replace either people we've lost or, you know, parts of the process? Yeah. So if you look at reports, uh, especially in tech, a lot of the companies that have had significant layoffs are simultaneously making massive investments that far surpass what they laid off into AI. Um, now, I think that's less, I'm trying to decipher the question, but I think it's less about that they think AI is going to replace the individual and more that they're prioritizing their investment in AI long-term over mm. uh, specific roles. Um, yes, I think there's a, a a buy factor there for AI where there's a lot of companies. And I think this is a, this is a, a struggle for the motion community for design community across the board to accept, I would say. Um, so for me, I'm a very human driven. I like, I, I don't really care about the numbers. Like I care about my team. I care about my people. That's like how I approach producing a, a job, but kind of my point earlier, at the end of the day, this is a business. And I think what we tend to lose sight of is I think a lot of motion designers make motion for motion designers. Like they, they, we were talking about that early in this before the call started, but it was like, oh, I want to put this extra work in the extra work is cool to show your friends who are also motion designers who are going to appreciate that extra 10%. But that extra 10% is not earning the end client 10% more money, right? And so like, 
I think this is where we struggle as motion community or as designers or artists in, in any capacity in that we want it to be like so fucking good. But at the end of the day, like 70 or 80 percent is as good as it's going to get to be a return on investment for the client. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I think, you know, kind of circling back to the I thing, I think. I think we're going to have two things happen. I think there's going to be a lot of excitement around it initially. I think a lot of it could deliver on what clients need in terms of just getting name out there. But at the same time, like AI will never be able to replicate the the nuances of a human. Mm-hmm. And like, I think we're going to get, like it's going to become so sterile that we're going to have a, a resurgence where it's like, oh, we want real artists to come in and, and like, you'll be able to feel it. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I think it's like a, a thing that you'll instantly notice, but I think we have to like, unfortunately go down a path to where we see so much of it that we get sick of it. And then people come back to it. Totally. Yeah. That you always have to go that far out to come back a little bit to kind of normalize it. It seems, uh, any kind of tech or, or whatnot. Um, but yeah, in terms of, you know, I forget where I heard it. I think it might've been Nick Campbell back in the day from grayscale said like, why would you spend, you know, half the day modeling the backside of this model that no one's going to see? Like, maybe that makes you happy, but like, that's so, you know, like you don't need that, you know? And I always kind of try to take that same mentality of like, okay, well I could keep pushing to put that extra 10% on, but I've already checked the box for the client. They're happy. It's now just like my personal ego or taste that's trying to, you know, shoehorn in that sim or whatever it may be. Right. Like, uh, I don't know. It just seems to me like, yeah, like it, you just need to, um, I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, accomplish I'll, the task. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave had a good comment that he threw in the chat. So I just want to, I want to call that out because the client will say, can we swing the camera up? That is the best fucking news for you, man, because yes, you can. And here's the bill for it. Like, yeah. like that's, <laughs> right. this is kind of like circling back to what we said before. Like this is a job. And I think we lose sight of that. I, I, I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for everyone else. I can tell you that I lose my identity sometimes into my career, right? Like, uh, and being a producer is not who I am. It happens to be what I do to make money. But mm-hmm. like a reminder, again, like a client is paying you for the ask on the SOW for a certain amount of hours. If they need extra things, that's great. Charge them for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't go above and beyond before that. And like for, you know, I think it can be soul crushing as an artist to know that something could be 10% better and that you're putting out in front of a world where like so many viewers are going to experience it. My, my recommendation for you is to still have that passion, still put that extra percentage into your own work or do it Mm -hmm. after the Mm -hmm. fact during on your own time for your own site. But like, don't burn yourself out. Don't work 60, 80 hours a week because somebody set you up with an unrealistic, uh, ask or because you're just like so determined to make it that much better because that bit of difference does not actually impact the end client it just doesn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. augustin uh, i see your hands up again feel free to pop in yeah i'm going to tie this with uh what uh Dryson said about the people drinking beer and this ai thing i think it's both are relating in the sense that when we had covid of course we couldn't shoot and also came this kind of myth that like animation is cheaper than shooting. And sometimes mm. it is, sometimes it is because yeah, I don't know it, what you're asking is very simple and you can represent it like easily in like easier in a way, easier way, illustration and animating, but sometimes it isn't, you know, sometimes it's cheaper to get like a small crew one day shooting stuff. And then you're, I mean, it's in cam and you're good. And, and I, so I, I think that's one of the things like people realize that sometimes animation can be more expensive than shooting. And also that with the AI thing is it's kind of the same thing is there's always these like thing people think, Oh, I can write this. And then it, I, you know, it poops my image and then it's cheap. It's almost free, but then it's, can you animate this image? Can you, do you have the layers? Right. Do you have this? Do you have that? And then, okay, well then as you start hiring people to do all these things, that you cannot replicate like a hundred percent, and then you end up paying like more. That if, right. like that if you had hired like an artist in the beginning, delivering all the material you needed. So, 
I think yeah. we're going to go down that path where like companies will go like, oh yeah, yeah, this is magic. Like, let's like, you know, forget humans. Like this is way better. And then they're going to be so entrenched and like in shit that they will start like rolling, like what teacher was saying. It's like rolling back on like, dude, what the nightmare this was yeah. like. And I think it will have its uses. Like I, we were joking with Mark the other day, like, hey, if I can have like automatic roto, like, please give it to me. Like no more green keys, welcome, you know? But the, the whole thing of like, we don't need people anymore. I, I don't, that's not happening yeah. anytime soon. No, you're, you're so spot on. Um, so a lot of my job, both when I uh, consult in, internally on the client side and when I'm running teams on the agency side is exactly that. It's education because the assumption is animation is cheap and fast. And if to be frank, it's almost always more expensive and takes longer. And like by more expensive, I don't mean just the budget that you present to the client. I mean that the timeline is so much longer that it requires more meetings and those meetings cost a lot of money when you actually break down the amount of people mm. that are involved. So if you can truncate that down to a one day shoot and a two week edit, it's going to be cheaper for you to do a live action job than it is going to be for a lot of like the lengthier animation spots. Um, you know, my job is just to convince them to still spend the money on it. Cause I want to make, I want to make motion <laughs> more than I want to make live action, but that's, that's the reality. Right. Um, but to your point, I'm old enough that I remember when the internet became a thing. And like before, you didn't really have advertisement on online. So suddenly we went from only making broadcast TV spots to now we need to make broadcast TV spots and we need to make these spots for the internet and we need them at different sizes, but it's just the internet. So we're only going to pay you like a fraction of the price. And I was mm. like, well, that doesn't, it's still the same amount of work for me to make the thing <laughs> but like clients just were not they didn't get it they're like well that's we, there's not as many viewers on the internet as there are on tv so we're not gonna, we're not gonna spend that money but it was kind of the same thing where it was like they had to go through a phase in the industry where they realized cutting those budgets under delivered on the things that they needed and all of a sudden they're like oh it's actually we need to go back and we need to pro properly scope these out mm -hmm. um and that took a year, two years before things kind of leveled out. But I think you're right. I think we're going to experience kind of the same shift uh, with AI. Well, and, and real quick too, I mean, the AI replacing people and just whatever. Uh, I also feel like it's really nothing new for us. It's just a new technology that is a little bit more accessible. But Fiverr exists. There's still bespoke agencies that make custom things exist. Like there's still a whole range of things and like AI might just interject itself into a few zones there, but like, I don't know. There's always, I feel like there's always going to be the demand for that customized bespoke, beautiful piece that needs to really, you know, hit home. And I don't, it's not yeah. there yet to throw some prompts in to like deliver that piece, you know? So yeah. I will, I will say for this group specifically, I think the, individuals and studios that are going to thrive are going to be those that figure out a way how to leverage AI to streamline their process. Like, I think if you yeah. can find ways to not replace yourself with AI, but use it to boost your skill set or to deliver on a faster timeline or to deliver systems or automation, or like there's, there's a whole spectrum that we could factor into our end deliverables that still keep the, that handmade stamp on top. Um, yeah, I, exactly. I'm friends with the the team over at Algo. I think they're ahead of their time. I think they do amazing things, but like that's a group who's looking at automation in a really good way. And I think that's um those are going to be the people that really thrive moving forward versus just getting just getting replaced. I don't think it's it's so much a factor of getting replaced as it is how do you leverage it? Uh Sarah, I see your hands up. Hop on in. Good to see you. Hi, hi. This is my first Monday meeting. Um, nice. Thanks of, for joining. Yeah. To, to cap off that last thought, and I think my question will relate a little, but I, it is true. Like I've been thinking a lot, like my optimism, at least with AI lately, has been like the people that are the most scared of it are actually the people that are the, know the best, like know it the best in a way. Like we spend a lot of time thinking about it. So my hope is that it just dovetails into being better tools for the artists rather than people just who don't 
know how to use it using it anyway. So that's at least been my optimism with it. And like, well, we'll <laughs> just learn how to use it well. <laughs> is yeah. my hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, so my thought too, again, along like the thought of educating, educating clients and and really understanding like how to convince them where their like budget is going. Um for those who've been who've been like in the industry the longest, like what has been your experience in like actually measuring and and figuring out how to measure the value that you provide? I feel like sometimes uh, with some clients, it's not easy to get that transparency about like, hey, I did a job for you, and like, did it help you? Like, did you make money? And how can I like prove that to other people without? so that I can develop those relationships without being over salesy. Yeah, it's a really good question. The the sad answer is most people don't know, not even the people that you would ask often know, like the producer that you're involved with probably has no idea what their metrics are realistically. And especially if you're working like through an agency, um, even more they're removed from like the, the end users. I think uh, to be honest, I think there's a lot of, um, fibbing going on in terms of like when you see case studies uh you know it's like take your best guess based on like viewership but take your, like there are tools out there that you can pull analytics if you pay for them they're kind of expensive but they'll allow you to pull analytics for a, a site or or even a you know a video that you don't aren't the end owner of um so you could get that granular you know i would recommend that for a studio maybe not for an individual um but i think you can start to like look at how did like if you did a big campaign for an agency, they have a PR team. So how did their PR team spin it? How did they sell it? Like, can you find their award videos? Like, what did they put in their award videos? Um, those are the metrics that you can start to pull. And I think it's it's kind of my like when I do the consulting. This is my biggest thing: is most motion sites are geared at animators and motion designers. They're not geared at the people who actually hire them. And that's mm-hmm. cool to let your friends think your work is great but they don't have any money to give you. So put your energy into like, how can you say, you know, I made this video that reached 2 million viewers or uh, a lot of the fibbing I say that goes on is like, you can look at, well, what were their earnings during that time? It's like, I put out this video and then I saw a spike in their earnings. So you could claim, you don't have proof, but you could claim that it's like, as a result of my advertisement, earnings went up X percent. Um, no one's going to get into the weeds and like really verify, like, don't go out there and lie, but like if you're doing the best with the information you have at hand, I think that's mm-hmm. totally valid. Mm. Yeah. Knowing that that's kind of a soft thing anyway, well, soft maybe isn't the right word, but like those facts are a little squishy because yeah. nobody's quite sure of them. Then like, instead of using those kinds of metrics, what other, what other strategies exist out there to really like talk about? your value other than view counts and just numbers that you can't confirm. Yeah. So what I would focus on if you don't have that information or if you don't want to focus on that information is, um, I mean, obviously you you can get testimonials from clients just about like how amazing you are to work with, but I would focus on like, how did you take a complex idea and execute it in in a way that was digestible? How did you streamline the process so that it's faster than the standard process? How did you, systematize something so that it could be replicated in the future. Like look at how you approach something and find a spin on it that adds value to the person who is more focused on the numbers than the art itself. Let's put a pin in that one. (laughs) No, I, I think it also goes back to the whole like partnership, not a vendor. Like if you can make your client's life easier, like that's also a big, you know, uh, value to them. There might not be necessarily a number associated with that, but you know, uh, if they hire you because you are a trusted vendor a trusted partner, uh, and they know they're going to get a quality video coming, uh, based on their, you know, creative brief, then you're making their life easier. So that's a value that you should definitely think about for yourself, you know, um, but uh, I'm going to call on Dilpreet. Uh, good to see you, man. Uh, hop on in if you have a question. Thank you so much for letting me in. And besides, yeah. this, is my very first, this is my very first Monday meet. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, Thank I you. Have a question. You know? <laughs> Thank you so much. 
Uh, I have a question related to you know being a journalist or you know focusing on a particular niche. Uh, I've been a motion designer for almost 11 years now, and uh, I've been a journalist all my life. And uh, I wanted to you know uh, work deep down on my character animation skills. But considering you know the current circumstances, what do you suggest? Should I should I cater to the client being a journalist, or should I really work on my you know uh, a niche skills? what is going to fetch me more projects a very silly question mm. but it really bothers me a lot at this moment no i'm happy to give you my perspective on it. i think every individual has their own um, yeah. so what's the, what's the full saying a jack of all trades is the master of none but oftentimes better than a master of one so <laughs> I, I think um i think it i think you should follow what makes you happy is what i'll start with I think like if there's one field that like focusing on that brings you the most joy, you're you're gonna get back what you put out into the world. So if you are you know if you love doing photo real 3D renders, but you're like going as a generalist and posting a bunch of vector animated 2D stuff, um, you're just gonna get more 2D opportunities. You're not gonna get any of those 3D opportunities. You're gonna get what you put out. So from that perspective you got you got to make that decision for yourself in terms of your question like who's going to get hired more uh the the generalist is going to have more opportunities across the board the their rate might not get as high as a specialist a specialist is going to make more money but they're going to see less opportunities um that, that would be my my stance and i think it just depends you know where you're at in your career who your clients are who you're who you're your contacts are because there's a lot of specialists who are highly paid, who are in with the right studios that keep them busy consistently. And that's, that's awesome. But I think a lot of people struggle um, to find those clients and those connections in the first place. And if they're so niche, then it's, it's even harder to, to make those contacts. So a generalist is going to have more opportunities to cast a wider net. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Absolutely. For all other good days, I think it it really makes sense for me to, you know, deep down into my niche. But, uh, you know, considering these adverse conditions, uh, it really bothers me whether whether I really should, is it really worth, you know, spending that much of effort and time into this? That's the reason why I asked this question. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah. And I think that's, um, it's something that always seems to come up through these meetings and stuff. And like TJ said, there's definitely varying uh, opinions uh, and ways to go about it for everyone. But I love uh, the answer of do what makes you happy, because if you're doing something and you're great, you're making a buck, but like there's, you're, you're just not liking it. (laughs) It's not worth doing in my opinion. That's my opinion, you know, but um you know, we're, we're starting to close up on the one hour mark here. Um, and you know, one thing that I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about is that it's not all doom and gloom right now. Like we, there are opportunities emerging there, you know, where certain things are getting cut or things are changing. There's a new opportunity for us as artists, or maybe there's more budget to be put towards a different type of project now. So TJ, with, with your experience and even just, uh, from how you've seen these cycles operate in the past and whatnot, maybe you can kind of, you know, leave us on a bit of a positive note here with uh, some encouragement for everyone listening. Yeah, I think, I think, like I said, I think, uh, I've been around the industry long enough to see these ebbs and flows happen several times. Now these cycles, they do, they are cycles. This isn't the last time it's going to happen. Um, but I think there's a lot of people new to the industry that probably are are scared that like, Oh, this is, this is the end of our, of our discipline. And that's not the case. I think what I was trying to say in the, in the tweet that kind of started this whole conversation was, it's going to be those who can write it out a bit longer who are, who are going to be the, the best suited. Um, and so, yes, I think like prepare yourself for maybe, maybe your salary is a little tighter, maybe your budget's a little tighter, but there's opportunities out there for sure. And I think it's also, uh, somebody else responded to my tweet. Um, it's a, it's a good reminder to not just focus on tech. Like this is so focused on the reaction of tech mm-hmm. and there are so many, you know, mid-level 
companies out there that still need marketing. They still need a lot of the same um, deliverables that you're used to making um, that maybe aren't on your radar right now. And so kind of like I said at the beginning, it's like this is actually a great time to focus on making those connections. Like I said, I don't sell, but like sell, you know, it's like this mm-hmm. is a, like and by selling, I mean, go meet people, go get name, get your name um, out into the industry to make sure that people know who you are, who your studio is, so that when those opportunities arise, uh, you're prepared for them. Um, but yeah, it, it, this isn't this isn't the end of our industry. This isn't the <laughs> end of the world. Like things are going to um, level out here, you know, eventually. Um, so I, th- I think a lot of the opportunities are going to come from new connections that maybe weren't your historic uh, that you weren't leveraging yet, you've historically been leveraging, um, or new industries that you can start to explore. Um, and I think those that can, like I said, find ways to leverage AI, find ways to uh, really communicate how their their offerings are going to streamline and deliver for a client are going to be the ones that they get reached out to first. I'm not the biggest social media proponent and all that per se. Like I'm a little old school, but like it is the thing to kind of be top of mind, you know, like if things are coming, like little touch points with previous clients shooting an email, Hey, how you doing? Check out this spot. We like, I think it's just, we have to almost lean back into being human in a way, right? Like just those human connections and those conversations and stuff that uh, honestly COVID's kind of changed a little bit because we're so used to looking at people through these screens or, or through a Slack channel or something like that. So trying to keep those connections uh, and fostering them uh, I think is going to just be a benefit to everyone for job, for, you know, um, personal life, everything. I don't know. It's the human connection. Some, there's something there, right? So um trying to think if there's any other last minute questions, we can fire one in real quick. But uh, I do want to just be mindful of TJ's time today. And I, I do want to say thank you so much for hopping on and, and kind of talking through this because it is a, uh, it's a big topic right now. And I think a lot of people are kind of freaking out, you know, and I think it's a really good just perspective to take is that we've seen a lot of this happen in tech and tech has been a big boom for a lot of people in our industry, but that doesn't mean that there's, you know, not five other industries needing the service. You know, it's just like that shiny bright sphere at the top that doesn't need it anymore per se, or is pausing right now. So it's just been um, been an interesting time and it's great to have uh, people like you, TJ and others giving your perspective on these things for people who haven't gone through this before. Or, I mean, shit, even for me, like just a little pep talk of like, hey, you know, it's going to be OK. We'll, we'll get through this, you know, so um, very much appreciated. Um, if there's any other questions, I think everyone's kind of starting to filter out here. So I think we'll just wrap it up here. But um, like I said, these are recorded. So if you did miss this, or if you find it valuable, or you want to share it with friends, we'll post it on um, these, I guess we post through Spotify these days, but like, uh, it's on all the podcast catchers that you can find out there. Um, If you have any other questions about this, uh, feel free to shoot us an email info at mondaymeeting.org or you can find us on all the social platforms. I don't even know our handles, but if you start typing in Monday meeting, it will probably populate. So uh, feel free to reach out there. And uh, TJ, if you want to plug any of your stuff, if you, uh, if people want to hit you up, where can they find you? Yeah. yeah. So um, first, thanks for having me. This was, was, I love having these conversations and uh it's a lot to distill down to Twitter or even a one hour conversation. So I assume <laughs> yeah. there's more questions that are going to come up. And I, my Twitter is always open. It's a TJ underscore underscore two underscores. Uh, <laughs> Kearney, K-E-A-R-N-E-Y. Um, but yeah, I also run a consulting and business coach uh, business and uh, kind of going to be focusing on that moving forward. And uh, happy to answer anything on my Twitter that you guys have. Feel free to DM me but just appreciate you taking the time and it's nice to hear from everybody. 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much, TJ. And uh, like I said, next week is NAB. So I will be on the NAB floor. So we will not have a meeting next week. Um, but uh, the week following, we will. Uh, and that will, you know, we'll find a topic or uh, just maybe an open discussion after NAB and after Camp MoGraph sales and all that. So Camp MoGraph tickets go on sale 420 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Get it. We've got a great lineup this year. We're excited. So um, again, thanks all for joining. Uh, feel free to share this if you found it valuable and we will see you at the next meeting. Thanks. Peace. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.